All right, welcome back to the big program. We're halfway into the show. Nine o'clock in Edmonton. Kevin Carey show on Sports 1440. And uh, let's welcome in our Tuesday co-host, Grant Fuhr from 9 to 11, the color commentator for the Coachella Valley Firebirds in Palm Desert. Good morning, Grant. How are you? It's been a, it's been a crazy week. How's that sound? It's definitely been an interesting week up there. It sure has. It sure has been an interesting week. Uh, before we kind of talk about all that and your perspective on it, did you get a chance to watch the game last night? Uh, you know what? I didn't. Okay. But reading through all the reviews and everything, scouring social media today, I, it, it's interesting. It hasn't put out a lot of the fires yet. And there's still a lot of skepticism and that sort of thing going on with Oilers fans, mm-hmm. which... Interesting, but at the same time, you understand it. Yeah, you understand it. There's no denying that. I mean, it's a passionate hockey fan base, and it's uh, what we've seen for many years, and you went through it here, and we're going to continue to go through that as long as this team, you know, continues on. So when you look at the last week or so since we spoke last, I guess, Grant, it was on Tuesday. The Oilers were coming off the game in Vancouver on Monday night where, you know, they didn't play particularly well. And that was kind of the start of uh, the demise, I guess, of Jay Woodcroft and Dave Manson. Let's not forget Dave. So when you were watching from afar in Palm Desert, what was your kind of reaction to kind of keeping tabs on the team last week? Well, they didn't play very well up until they got to Seattle. And then I thought they played pretty well in Seattle. And then from everything that I've looked at so far today, it looks like they played pretty well last night. Mm-hmm. And the last two games look like they've put in 60-minute efforts. And some of the highlights that I saw from last night, you can see guys. the guys weren't coasting. They were actually – the forwards were getting back in their own end and attacking as a group and attacking with speed, mm-hmm. which that was different than the two games I saw when I was up in Edmonton live. They weren't attacking with speed at all. It's a good point. And again, the game that you saw was the Ranger game, right? And that was a 3 nothing loss. And then you saw the Heritage Classic. Do you think there was a big difference between those two games that you saw than what we've been seeing here the last couple of games? Yeah, I thought the effort was different mm-hmm. more than anything. I mean, the, the Ranger game, they looked flat. That's the best way of describing it. Yeah. It didn't look like there was a lot of enthusiasm. didn't look like there was a lot of push. And then the Heritage Classic, they looked a lot better than they did the Ranger game, but mm-hmm. still not the way they looked last year. And then the Seattle game, they look actually looked really good. I mean, yeah, they didn't get any shots in the third period, but at the same time, they didn't give up a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And then from everything I've seen in of highlights and read last night, they look good for 60 minutes. Yeah. So, you know, it was a little bit of a slow start last night, Grant, and I think everyone was just kind of wondering, you know, because with the coaching change, you kind of wonder what's going to happen. I, I thought there would be a lot more uh, maybe intensity, energy, urgency for the first few minutes, but it was the exact opposite. It took the Oilers a little while to kind of, you know, dip their toes in the water, so to speak. Do you think that's just normal because of a coaching change or were you maybe, you know, did you think it might be a little different in that sense? I thought there might be a little more jump to get things going. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's a team that's had some struggles. And when you've had some struggles, a lot of times you'll kind of wait to see how the other team's going to play and instead of just going out and dictating the pace. Mm-hmm. And the Seattle game, they kind of went out, dictated the pace. I mean, 
they've done that a couple of games where they've gone out, dictated the pace, and then kind of turned the engine off. And last night, they turned the engine on and it got better as the game went along. And that's the biggest difference. And that's what the team did last year, is they established their pace and made other teams chase them instead of them chasing the other teams. And that's something we've seen in the first dozen games or so here because the Oilers have always been on the other side where they're having to go after the opponent instead of being proactive, they've been reactive. I mean, if that's just one game, I mean, it's hard because, I mean, Chris Knobloch saying, I just trying to get to know these guys. Zach Hyman, you heard his comments about, you know, just met met the new head coach today. So how long do you think it takes to get that familiarity going between a new coach and, and, and his new players? Oh, you got to give it ten games. Mm-hmm. I mean, you want to you want to see a little bit of a body of work to see where they're going to go. And yeah, they've played good the last couple of games, but there wasn't a whole lot of other ways they could have gone. That, <laughs> that's the other thing yeah. is there wasn't a whole lot further to go down. So you you ex- you would expect to see some improvement and see them get better and better. And everybody knows that's a talented hockey team. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of having that talent come out and play like they did last year and play with the confidence that they had last year. Grant Fuhrer with us on Sports 1440, our co-host every Tuesday from 9 to 11 from Palm Desert, California. And Grant, you know, I was trying to find or trying to think about if you had to go through a, a mid-season coaching change personally when you played because you had the longevity of, of many coaches between, you know, Slats and, and, and John Muckler here and in Buffalo and, you know, and Mike Keenan. Uh, is there a, did you have a situation similar to this at all any time in your career? Uh, where did we change coaches? I changed coaches in Toronto. I went from Tom Watt to Pat Burns. Okay. Uh, Buffalo, no changes. L.A., we went from Barry Melrose to Rogie Vashon as an interim coach. And in St. Louis, we went from Mike Keenan to Joel Quinville. Were they? So get, yeah, were they in season, Grand, or was it all? Was there anything kind of early on in the season like this? Uh, none of them were early in the season. Mm-hmm. I think most of them were later in the season. So, but it's always different. It's always a wake up call for the players because now they've yanked your security blanket away and now it's on the players and it should be on the players to start with anyway, Mm -hmm. but because coaches give you direction, but they don't play the game. And that's the biggest thing, but you get a security blanket with the coach there because they can't fire 20 players. Mm Mm-hmm. So you have that security blanket. Well, once they yank the coach away, now it's on the players. So the security blanket's gone. Now you'll actually get to see what you really have. What was the biggest one for you, Grant? Was it uh, Quenville taking over for Keenan or or was it Burns taking over from Watt in Toronto? What Can you just explain the different, I guess, uh, instances and dynamics of those two changes for you when you were playing? Well, the four coaches were very different. I mean, Tom Watt was more of a teacher where everything was kind of drawn out and mapped out and played a little different style. And that was a little bit of a throwback to the old time coach where there's a little more hooting and hollering and Mm -hmm. a little more in your face coaching. And then St. Louis, everybody knows Mike was a little bit different. And then I really enjoyed Joel. Joel was a player's coach and expected the same things, but in a different way, it was a different way of explaining things and made it fun to be around the rink. Grant Fuhr with us on Sports 1440, the Hockey Hall of Famer and former Edmonton Oilers. So uh, the big news around here, I think, Grant, was, yes, the coaching change, and a lot of people were calling for it, but when Dave Manson was, I guess, tied to the hip with uh, 
with Jay Woodcroft uh, being fired, it created the opportunity for a friend of yours and a former teammate, Paul Coffey, coming on board. Now, the reaction, to be honest, has been probably 90% negative about Paul Coffey. I've kind of been defending it a little bit this morning and been getting crapped on by some people, but uh, I said, let's just give it a chance, see what he what he can do. Watched him on the bench last night. I mean, this is a new experience for Coff as well. Just your thoughts on Paul Coffey kind of moving from, again, in an advisory role with Daryl Cates to behind the bench. Yeah, you know what? Coff hasn't coached, so it's kind of hard to crap on a guy that's never hasn't done it before. <laughs> And at the same time, he's probably forgot more about the game than most of the people crapping on him know. Mm-hmm. So it, yet there'd be a learning curve for him as well. But at the same time, he's got more knowledge and has been in all the different situations and oh, a bunch of rings to go with it. So he knows the game. He knows the understanding. He knows that the players have to be accountable. And having played with Goff, he'll make the players accountable. And that's what you want. How does he relate to, I mean, again, the biggest thing everyone keeps saying, well, you know, he didn't know how to play defense. Well, I think that's a load of BS as well. So how does he relate and how can he get that message through to guys uh, defensively? And he's going to have, you know, he's going to be working closely with Mark Stewart. We know that. So can you kind of just talk about that angle with him, Grant? So the Kauf had a different way of playing defense. Puck possession is still defense. And if you looked at our team, yeah, we had some mad scrambles and it was a little chaotic sometimes. But the minute Koff got the puck, we turned, we were on offense. Well, guess what? The other team's not on offense anymore. Now they've got to play defense and they have to respect that. So it's a different style of defense. And with the club that the Oilers have, they've got to play an attacking style. Well, the only way you're going to attack is if your defensemen are making a good first pass and they're making it quick. You can't take that extra second to read. You have to know where it has to go and it has to go there. And Koff's going to be really good to help the defenseman make that read and make that first pass fast, which will get them out of their zone quicker, which, again, less time on defense. Less time on defense adds up to better goals against. So it's it's funny when because people always just think about defending as defense, where if you turn it around to the opposite, you're not defending because you're on offense. Yeah. Puck possession is defense. Mm-hmm. And if you control the puck in your own end, you're not playing defense. You're already started the transition to offense. So it, it's about puck possession. Grant Fuhrer with us on Sports 1440. So, Grant, in, on the defensive core, do you think there's one or two players that will maybe be that, that Paul Coffey can help maybe more than others? Or is it just a, a collective group? Well, I think he's going to help them as a group. I mean, obviously, you've got different dynamics different talent levels. So Koff's going to figure out what each guy does best. I mean, you'd like to see Darnell Nurse become like a Chris Pronger, a little meaner, a little quicker with his first pass. Koff will have that ingrained in him. And Ekholm is a good, solid defensive defenseman. So now you find somebody that he pairs well with. And it's about figuring out the pairings and Mm -hmm. giving each guy the opportunity to succeed in a role that they know they can succeed at. How do you think he handles, mentors Evan Bouchard moving forward? Uh, he'll be in his ear. And there's no question. Koff will have him accountable on his own end. And Evan knows the game offensively. There's no question. And you can see that. It's a matter of he's still learning the game in his own end and that sort of thing. And 
there's still that extra half step defensively that he needs to find. But at the same time, he's going to get better. And Koff's going to help him with that. He's going to help him with the mindset of it. What's going to be the hardest thing for him moving into this position? getting used to not being able to control the game. <laughs> you can give all the directions in the world you want, but you can't control it once you're standing behind the bench. So that, that'll be the probably the, the most fun, but also the most frustrating. Mm-hmm. So when you were goaltending coach in Arizona, was it four or five years that you were there? Uh, I think I spent five there. Yeah, about five, yeah. So uh, did you have to, I mean, the hours that the assistant coaches put in, just crazy. It's a grind. Were you with the team all the time, or did you kind of come in and out? How did that work? Well, it started off, I was coming in and out, but it ended up being an everyday gig, and I enjoyed being there every day. I mean, yeah, the coaches put in a lot of hours. Mm-hmm. They put in a lot of preparation. And once the game starts, it's kind of out of your hands. So that's the other thing that it takes a little bit of getting used to that you can drop all the plans you want. The players still have to execute. So at the end of the day, it's still on the players. And what about for Paul being behind the bench now? You can watch from up top and you can see things differently. And the game is going so much slower up top. It's coming at you a million miles an hour on the bench. Is that going to be uh, like a, a learning curve for him to kind of react to in the sense of making decisions on the fly, putting the right personnel out? Uh, how do you think he'll attack that standpoint of this new position? Well, when you're down on the bench, it's a lot like you're playing. Everything happens fast. Mm-hmm. Upstairs is easy. I mean, that was the great thing about sitting upstairs watching. You can read the game. The game happens in slow motion. But on the bench, everything's happening fast. And it's going to take some time for him to grow into it. But at the same time, Koff reads the game extremely well. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to be a quick learning curve. Well, it's going to be an interesting uh, couple of days and, and, you know, you get some practices in here. The Oilers will have sort of a checkerboard schedule coming up after tomorrow's game against uh, Seattle. We'll get to your your Kraken farm team, Coachella Valley uh, Firebirds, in a little bit. And we talked to uh, Allison Lucan last week. She was fantastic, Grant, talking. And she came in from a late shift. She uh, does some analy- analyzing work for, for the Kraken. She was just bang on. We talked about all the players that have been coming up, uh, you know, including Shane right because of the injury to Jordan Eberle so we'll get to that a little bit later and we've got your old teammate uh, Dave Lumley when's the last time you talked to Lummer God, I haven't talked to Lummer in forever so <laughs> not, it, it'll be good to say hey that's not long enough is it Fierzy <laughs> it has definitely been a while well he's coming in studio so I'm sure he'll be at his on his very best behavior not a chance. <laughs> <laughs> That's coming up at 10 o'clock, uh, former Oiler Dave Lumley. Uh, when we come back, Grant and I will tag team Michael Grange from Rogers Sportsnet covering the NBA and the Raptors. That's coming up. The Kevin Carey Show with co-host Grant Fear on Sports 1440. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to the big program as we get ready for the Jonas Brothers tonight. The Duke of Delburn's going to the Jonas Brothers. I still can't believe that. Uh, let's elevate our game by... Introducing our next segment and our next guest. Uh, Elevate Your Game brought to you by Ram Elevators and Lifts. Forbes best rated residential elevators manufactured right here in Edmonton. Visit TrustRam.com for more information. The Toronto Raptors definitely elevated their game last night as we welcome in Michael Grange from Rogers Sportsnet. Michael, welcome to Sports 1440. You're with Kevin Carius and Grant Fuhr, the Hockey Hall of Famer. How are things out in Toronto? Thank you well. Thanks for having me on, guys. Well, thanks for coming on. Can you just touch on last night's game? It was a bit of a wild one in the sense that the Raptors really came back and uh, pulled out a big win over the Wizards. 
Yeah, just it uh, looked like, honestly, a disaster. Um, you know, as bad a first half or, or that the Raptors have played this year or almost any year against a team, the Wizards, that uh, is pretty determined to do nothing this season and um, just kind of were able to flip the switch halfway through the third quarter. Pascal Siakam absolutely goes off, and they steal uh, steal a game they, they really should have lost. And uh, kind of that, those ones always help. Michael Grange from Rogers Sportsnet, our guest, Carrius Fear on Sports 1440. What was it about Pascal Siakam's game last night that elevated his game to lead the Raptors to a victory? Well, I think he just, um, I think he just has made his mind up to kind of to attack, and was given the leeway to do so. I mean, I think um, you know when you're down 23 points in the third quarter, you, you know, you, the way the Wizards were defending, they were just kind of. Stacking back a little bit, uh, forcing the Raptors to shoot over them, and Toronto's not really a very good, sh- you know, perimeter shooting team. And but in doing that, they were switching a lot, and and you know the Raptors started taking advantage. And when Siakam got uh, matchups he liked, he would attack, and and uh, you know the Wizards didn't have a lot of rim protection there, and they just kept going back to it. And that's that's sort of you know what they've done in the past with Siakam, not so much this year, but uh, it worked out really well. Go ahead, Grant. So with the Raptors being six and five now, would they be happy with that start, or do they think they're a better club than that? Yeah, they're they're five and five. We'll see what happens tomorrow against uh, Milwaukee. So, um, but I would say to your your question there, Grant, um, I think they would be happy. Uh, you know, they've they've had you know statistically the second toughest schedule in the league, uh, just based on the strength of their opponents. Uh, they've had five road games. They've got a new coaching staff. They've had a lot of variables that, you know, when you looked at the, the schedule, you know, you would have said, well, let's see what they can do through these five games. I hope they can survive. And they started, don't forget, one and three. Um, so they've kind of sort of uh, put themselves in position at least to build from here. And they're not digging themselves out of a hole. So I think short answer, uh, five and five at this stage would be deemed a positive for sure. Michael Grage from Rogers Sportsnet's our guest on uh, the Kevin Carey Show with uh, co-host Grant Fuhr from uh, the United States. He checks in every Tuesday from 9 to 11. So, Michael, how do you think the, the team has responded so far under the new head coach? I think it's been good. Uh, I mean, I think um, you know, Nick Nurse had five years as head coach, was five years as an assistant. There wasn't a lot of turnover with his staff over the years he was here clearly had you know a lot of success and now he goes to philadelphia and you know he's having a lot of success there too mm-hmm. i mean nick nurse is a good nba coach um but you know i think you know i'm not sure grant can appreciate uh, from all his years playing at the highest levels um sometimes it's not really the 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 message it's the it's the delivery it's the timing it's just you know a need for a fresh voice and and, and a fresh kind of outlook on things and so, uh, you know, I think that's really why they went in the direction of hiring, you know, letting Nick go. I think Nick was happy to be let go and get his own fresh start. And so with Darko Rajakovic, you know, they've got a, a guy who's, uh, I think, a different person, different character. I think he's a very strong technical coach. That's certainly been his reputation coming into the league, into the job. 
Um, but, you know, it's a real people person. It's somebody mm-hmm. who's very uh, comfortable and at ease in terms of relating to players on an individual one-on-one level. Um, and, and I think that's been a little bit refreshing. And he's had a fresh set of eyes on some players. So guys are getting some different breaks, some different looks. And, you know, he's introduced a, a different style that I think is to the benefit of, of some of the guys who maybe were had, were under slightly different roles under Nick. So I think he's been well-received, and I think he's, you know, I think he's beyond the benefit of the doubt stage right now. Mm-hmm. I think it's people are buying in, and, and uh, you know, that's why, you know, we talk about that start being 5-5. Five and five. I think that was really important because, you know, it could have easily yeah. been a much worse start, and then, you know, with a new head coach, you know, people start to raise their eyebrows. But I think he's 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 kind of demonstrated that what he's trying to sell can work, and um, you know, and that's half the battle. Grant, can you kind of speak to that? The reaction being a former player to a kind of a different voice, I guess. Yeah, I mean, a lot of your X's and O's are still going to be fairly similar, but a different voice. All of a sudden, you've got accountability, and as a player, you need to have accountability and. Sometimes when you make a coaching change, that accountability jumps a little more forward. Your elite players will always have that accountability. It's You just have to realize that sometimes it's not the message. It's the messenger. And I know after a long time, players have a tendency to listen, but not really listen. So sometimes you bring a different voice in. It's got everybody's attention a little bit more. Michael Grange from Rogers Sportsnet, our guest on the Kevin Carey Show with co-host Grant Fuhrer. So, Michael, this is, I guess, still part of the, well, not part, the the in-season tournament. This game was part of that. Can you sort of address how that's going in your mind, in your perspective? Is it a success? Are we going to see it moving forward? What's what's the reaction been around the league, I guess, with this in-season tournament? Yeah, it's an interesting concept. Um, you know, it's kind of borrowed from... You know, European sports, most prominently soccer, but I think they do that in, in a lot of the European club sports over there. They have, you know, you have your end of season championships, but, but within the season you have various competitions ongoing that, um, you know, kind of give a little more meaning to certain games here or there. Um, you know, and this is uh, an effort. The Raptors actually start their portion of the in-season tournament Friday against Boston. And, you know, the basic premise is the, they've kind of put the league into – six pools of five teams that, that, you know, and they play regular season games that are designated as cup games and they have kind of new uniforms and new floors to kind of bring attention to all of that. And, um, you know, the, the, the six winners of the six groups advance to single elimination game format and then the two wild cards in each conference, the next two best records advance as well. So you've got an eight-team single elimination format and then the top four teams uh, go to Vegas and they play kind of a final four tournament in, in December. And it's definitely got a lot of marketing muscle behind it. It's, it's got, you know, a lot of conversation behind it. Um, will it translate into fans uh, getting more excited about it? I suspect if your team is one of the teams in the final four in Vegas, it'll yeah. be certainly, you know, you'll be interested to watch and see how it goes. And, you know, the players, you know, the winning team gets an extra 500 grand in their pocket, which if you're, yeah. you know, Dame Lillard making 61 million this year, probably not that big a deal. <laughs> but if you're, <laughs> you know, if you're the 12th or 13th guy who's on a, you know, on a 1.1 or 1.4, whatever the vet minimum is, 
the rookie minimum is, you know, yeah, 500 grand is pretty good. So, um, so I think, you know, I think there's some merit there. Mm-hmm. I think it's also kind of interesting, though, that, you know, the games, you know, you're kind of in an, el- in an effort to elevate your regular season, give it more meaning, then, okay, the games that, what, what about the other 75 or 78 games that aren't cup mm-hmm. games? I guess they're even less meaningful. I don't know. So, um, there's no harm in trying it. I think, you know, by the time it does get to the end of it, it'll be pretty fun. Um, but, you know, I haven't really sensed this incredible surge of passion about, you know, this game being a cup game or not. But, but again, we're early in the process. Yeah, that, that's a good, uh, a good comment on that, Michael, is in the sense of your post last night saying, um, you know, if the NBA could, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, could guarantee like what happened last night between the Raptors and the Wizards, maybe they wouldn't need uh, an in-season tournament like this, but is it just the fact it's a long season and maybe just trying to create more excitement? Yeah, that, that's exactly it. And, um, you know, if, if you're really going to peel back the layers on this, I mean, the NBA is in the process of uh, negotiating a new media rights deal that they hope will, you know, kind of at least double, if not triple, <laughs> the amount <laughs> of money that they're already earning, which is just an incredible amount as it is. Uh, you know, as I said, I mean, uh, you know, you got the top player guys in the league now making $60 million um, a season, which is just insane. But, um, you know, so so they're, so in doing that, they're trying to look at ways to kind of create more properties that would be attractive to various streaming services and various mm-hmm. broadcast outlets and, and other media platforms. And so... You know, when you have something like the in-season tournament and presumably eventually it's going to be branded, well, maybe that's something that, you know, that Apple TV buys and owns. And so when, you know, the the Apple TV, you know, the mm-hmm. in-season TV presented by Apple is, you know, yeah, you know, has generates a, a different and newer chunk of revenue than just a regular Friday night game on ESPN might. I think that's <laughs> the, the big picture. Um, so again, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot of people, people with a lot more expertise in these matters than <laughs> me, you know, have kind of deemed that this is the way to go and it might be the way to go, but you know, that's the real story is it's, it's about trying to create properties that you can package and sell and uh, generate more revenue from. Grant, have you got one more for Michael? Yeah. And just out of curiosity, you've got Milwaukee and Boston coming in. Are the Raptors ready to compete against the really good teams right now? Uh, you know, that's a good question, Grant, because uh, they've beaten Milwaukee. <laughs> yeah. You know, they beat them uh, in their first meeting, I guess it was their fourth game of the year. And it was a really critical win because it was their last game before they went on a four-game road trip and they were 1-3 and three at the time. And you were looking at that and they were going to get beat by Milwaukee. Then they go to Philly, they're 1-5. and five, And, you know, you could really have sort of painted a picture where things were – going to head south in a hurry, but instead they beat Milwaukee. Milwaukee's got kind of their own problems. They've made that huge trade for Dame Lillard, and they're still kind of feeling their way around. Um, I would say on paper, the Raptors don't have a lot of business competing with Milwaukee, but, you know, has shown that, that they can, and that might say more about Milwaukee than anything. They played Boston on the road on Friday, or sorry, on I'm losing track. I was at the game. I'm losing my track. On Saturday night, sorry, and got smashed. And uh, the Celtics, to me, look like the best team in the NBA right now. And we'll see what happens in this rematch, which is part of this cup tournament. 
on Friday. Uh, but, uh, you know, you just look at the quality of the top six or seven in the Celtics lineup, having added Christophs Porzingis and yeah. Drew Holiday to, you know, the two Jalen's or the two Jays and, and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and, and on. And it, they just seem like a far superior team to where the Raptors, to what the Raptors are right now. Um, so I would say the jury is a little bit out on exactly how good Milwaukee is, is going to be, but I would, I would expect that, you know, their team in their minds, they would come to Toronto and, and, and have their way with the Raptors. We'll see. And, you know, the Celtics who are pre season favorites for an NBA title, have given every indication that they should be a favorite for an NBA title. And, you know, the first game, at least, you know, the Raptors look far short of that standard. So, um, you know, I think the reality is the Raptors are five and five, and chances are they're going to end up somewhere around, you know, 40, 41, 42 mm-hmm. wins, 39 wins, depending on injuries and all of that. And, and so it's just going to be one of those seasons where, you know, you just try and, uh, you know, you, you know, you just try and stay even, stay mm-hmm. to the ground 500, and maybe you get lucky in a playoff matchup. Well, Michael, appreciate your time. Thanks for all this, and uh, good luck covering the Raptors uh, in the future. In the next little bit, we'll be uh, watching and listening. Thanks for this. Great. Thanks for having me on, guys. That's uh, Michael Grange from Sportsnet covering the NBA and the Raptors for Elevate Your Game. Brought to you by Ram Elevators and Lifts, manufacturing the safest elevators since 1987. Trust Ram.com. I think I asked you this before, Grant, but how many NBA games have you gone to recently? And I know you said you used to go to quite a few back in the day with Michael Jordan and the Bulls in the 80s. Yeah, recently, not a whole lot. Yeah. But yeah, back in the day, we got to, we're pretty lucky to see some games, got to see a few Celtics games and some Laker games, some Bull games. So I've, I've got to see some good teams up close and personal. Uh, I can't remember if I asked you your favorite team, but what about the atmosphere? Compare the atmosphere as a fan, and you've gone to games like the Heritage Classic and you see the atmosphere uh, in a hockey rink, but what's it like when you watch a, a basketball game for you? Is it a lot different than, than a hockey uh, a hockey match? For me, it is. I'm still a hockey guy. Mm-hmm. So I like the atmosphere in a hockey building. And it's fun to go to some of the different buildings to see the different atmosphere in the different buildings throughout the league. And Canadian cities are different than the American cities. Mm-hmm. I mean, just a lot of it's the knowledge of the Canadian fan where they're a little more reserved, whereas in the States, a little less reserved, a little <laughs> a little more interesting sometimes. <laughs> they might have a few more pops too, maybe, huh, Grant? <laughs> There's definitely a few more beverages consumed and a little different dictionary. <laughs> That's exactly right. Uh, some different vocabulary, if you will. Uh, we've got a new segment, Grant. We started it last Thursday, so this will be your first foray into it. It's called Are You In or Are You Out? The Duke of Delbert and our producers put together five not kind of questions, the sort of statements. And it's uh, a sense where you and I will say, are we in or are we out? We'll get to those when we come back right after the break. More with Kevin Carius and Grant Fear on Sports 1440. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to the big program coming up to 940. Dave Lumley has just entered the studio. Can you imagine Dave Lumley early for something? It's a, it's a record, Fury. This is an absolute record. Uh, time now for... I'm, I'm impressed you got him out of bed. <laughs> Fierzy says, I'm impressed you got him out of bed. <laughs> uh, Dave Lumley will uh, join us at 10 o'clock. We'll shoot the breeze about some old times in the 80s and 
former teammates and things like that. Um, time now for Are You In or Are You Out? Abbreviated, it's in or out. The Duke of Delburn, Brandon Douglas, has uh, again put together five statements, if you will, and he will let us know those statements, and Grant, Fear, and I will, I guess, say, are we in or are we out? Go ahead, Duke. All right, boys, we got uh, a new batch Oilers fresh off the win last night, including the first for new head coach Chris Knobloch. Everybody talks about the new head coach bump, so what uh, I'm saying is that the Edmonton Oilers will use that bump to tack on at least four more wins by the end of the American Thanksgiving weekend. Okay. Are you in? Or are you out? I, I'll go first on this one, Fierzy, and then you can go first on the next one. So, anyway, are you counting the Black Friday game as So, I, I am counting to the end of that weekend. So, 20, the Kraken, the Lightning, Panthers, Hurricanes, Caps, Ducks. Oh, so the that Ducks, fir- too. that first game back at home at the conclusion of the full weekend. Wow, then this is a no-brainer. I am 100% in that they will rack up at least four more wins if you're adding two more games because I was looking at it. You Ameri- four of four? Well, I was looking at American Thanksgiving is the 23rd, correct? Yes. The Oilers play on the 24th. That's an afternoon game in Washington on Black Friday. Yeah. And then you're counting the 26th as well with Anaheim here. Yeah. Your Ducks. My Ducks. So, I'm hoping to be there. So you're counting six games. I six will go, games. I will go 100%. I am in. The Oilers, under the new coaching bump, will get four wins in the next six. Fierzy. I have to agree with you. I like the way they played the last two games, and if they continue to play that way, they'll definitely win four of the next six. Alrighty, on to number two, the Buffalo Bills losing last night on Monday Night Football <laughs> to the Broncos off of a pretty ghastly mistake on the final play. Uh, and just news coming down that the Bills have fired offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey. So what I'm saying is that the Buffalo Bills will finish this season below the record of 500. They have uh, games remaining that is ranked as the third hardest schedule by ESPN Analytics versus the Jets, Eagles, Chiefs, Cowboys, Chargers, Patriots, and Dolphins. They currently sit at 5-5. Five and five. I'm going to go with the Bills will finish above 500. They're too good a team to be <laughs> yeah. that bad. I mean, yeah, they've looked pretty average and and spots terrible this year, but there's too much talent there for them not to finish above 500. I am going. I am in. Kevin is in. I am in that they will finish below 500. Uh, I thought they stunk again last night. Even though Denver is coming on, the Denver Broncos defense has been pretty good since they got shellacked by Miami, gave up 70 points. And I look again, as you said, Duke, the schedule, that's some tougher games. They got the Eagles, they got the Chiefs, they got the Cowboys for sure, and they got the Dolphins one more time. I am going to say the Buffalo Bills will finish below 500 and miss the playoffs. And then massive, massive changes. One would have to think that would certainly be in order uh, if Sean McDermott's seat is not already getting a little hot. Uh, Number three, uh, going back to the Oilers, uh, still lots of talk around the goaltending situation. Stuart Skinner has looked much improved over the past two games, but what I'm saying is that the Oilers will trade for a goaltender before the Christmas break. Do you you want to go first, Fierzy, or should I? (laughs) I'm going to say I'm out on that. I don't think they're going to. I think they're going to ride Stuart Skinner for a little while, and I think they'll take some time to figure out what they have in Calvin Pickard and Olivier Rodriguez. 
I think they're going to they're going to be patient when it comes to that. That there's not a whole lot of guys on the market that one will improve the team or two fit the salary cap. I am going to say out as well, but I'm going to say again because the Duke he always puts these little tiny little things in here before the Christmas break. I still think it could happen. But we have a month to go here, a little bit more than a month to go. So I'm going to say it could happen, but before the Christmas break, I am out. We just chatted with Michael Grange from Sportsnet talking about the NBA and the Toronto Raptors. The in-season tournament group stage resumes play tonight with uh, a number of games on the docket. What I'm saying is that this in-season tournament will become a staple on the calendar and a fan-favorite event for years to come in the association. (laughs) (laughs) I'll go first on this one, Fierzy. I'm going to say I am out because I have no clue how it works. None. (laughs) Zero. I said last week, uh, I can't remember the guests we had on. Duke, you you remember them all. Off the top of my head, I don't. Yeah, it was a high-profile writer from the NBA.com. We'll get his name in a second. But I said to him, I said, how does this work? I said, you got to be Matt Damon from Goodwill Hunting to figure it out. I just don't understand it. I I get the fact that if you get 500 grand, well, like that's for the team to share. Yes. So again, players that make like OG and uh, Pascal Sia makes 43 mil. Does he care if the 500 grand gets split up? I'm going to say out. Yeah, I can agree. I'm out on that one. I think it takes too much shine off the rest of your regular season games. I mean, yeah. Okay, fine. You've got a tournament. Most people won't understand it. And I know I don't, but at the same time, with the money the guys are making, five hundred grand divvied up amongst what twelve, thirteen guys is kind of pennies on the dollar. I just don't think it brings the luster to the players, and I don't think it's going to change a whole lot. Five hundred grand could make for one pretty good team party, though, <laughs> if uh, if you came out victorious, I would think. Well, uh, I think the team fines at the NBA level will probably cover that <laughs> yeah. amount. Very good point, Grant. Uh, last one for you guys. As Kevin has well documented this morning, I am going to the Jonas Brothers tonight at. Rogers Place, uh, the pop band of the brother trio. But what I'm saying is that uh, any artist, regardless of genre, uh, as long as they're a headliner, that play for less than two and a half hours at a concert are doing a disservice to their attending fans. I'll go out. That I'm in for. I'm in in for that one. Okay. If I'm I'm going to a concert, I want to see their best and see them run through their hits. And it should take them at least two and a half hours. Okay, again, the Duke sets the line like he's a professional gambler. So he sets the line just right at the perfect tipping point, two and a half hours. So, like, we're not talking Bruce Springsteen here. We're not talking marathon concerts. Two and a half hours is plenty. If that if that artist gives it his all for the two and a half hours, I'm just fine with that two and a half. The artist has given it. Shania Twain would, probably was outstanding for two and a half hours. The Jonas Brothers, what, how many are they going to play tonight, Duke? So this tour they are on they play all five of their albums in one night and granted these are these are pop songs so a lot of them are quite short in length but if you're talking about like riffing in between interacting with the crowd like i'm expecting this probably to be a three hour plus show okay but i have no idea i can't wait to go it's going to be a riot grant would you ever go to see the jonas brothers (laughs) yeah let me think no i'm out That one wouldn't take very much to decide on. That should have been our sixth question. 
Well, good news. I don't have any extra tickets for you guys, so oh. you guys can stay who are you home. Go, who are you going with to this thing? Uh, a couple friends uh, from back in Delburn, and the uh, one guy's girlfriend is coming along as well. So it, uh, it'll it mostly be a boys' night with probably just enough feminine influence to uh, keep us on the rails and uh, keep us on track. So, again, I, the only time I ever heard of these guys was from that movie, The Hangover. Yeah. That, and believe me, if there was like something else on the schedule tonight, I would have had the same reaction as Zach Galifianakis saying, yeah, that's no good for me. The Jonas Brothers are in town because <laughs> this uh, this has been on my uh, on my calendar for several months. So oh, <laughs> it's going to be great. What's happened to you, Duke? <laughs> what has happened? Everything was good when we were talking rodeo and going to the CFR and Friday night hockey at the Delburn Memorial Arena. Now we got the Jonas Brothers. The duality of man, Kevin. I can like many things that uh, range on the spectrum. I'm a complicated person. Oh, what's the last uh, concert or rock concert or whatever like that you've seen, Grant? Oh, what's I, what's the last one I've seen? I don't or, even know. It's been a while since I've been to a concert. Or even one of the best ones. Well, U2 was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the last one I saw was Nickelback. Hmm. So I've seen them half a dozen times. Uh, Aerosmith. So we've, we've been to a few good ones. So we got, you know, we got Aerosmith, we got U2 on one hand, and then we got the Duke with the Jonas Brothers on the other hand. What have we come to here? This is my first time seeing them. I've been to, uh, been to some classics as well. My boy Brian Adams, <laughs> a number of years ago. He puts on a great show. Man, he impressed me a lot. Uh, what about when you go to, like, in Vegas? I know you do lots of golf stuff there, Grant. Do you ever go to any shows there and things like that? Every now, every now and then, we'll sneak over and try and find a show, see who's in town, see what's good. And I haven't been to the Sphere yet. I heard the shows in the Sphere are pretty good, so I'm, I think my wife and I will sneak over there and catch a show there at some point this year. You know, I, I still would like to see some sort of a real high-end, a real high-end magic act, like something like a high-end uh, magic act. I've seen Terry Fader, I think, two or three times, the uh, ventriloquist. Really enjoyed that. But he's, I've actually seen Terry. He's good. Yeah. I mean, way better than the Jonas Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, text coming into one eight three three four zero one fourteen forty. 401 Walter says, two and a half hours of the Jonas Brothers nonstop. Why would anyone want to torture themselves like that? <laughs> Speaking of ceremonies and, uh, you know, events, last night was the Hockey Hall of Fame grant. A lot of goaltenders went in, so it was kind of goalie night. What did you make of uh, all the goaltenders that went into the HHOF last night? I thought it was a nice collection of goalies. I mean, obviously, I've got a long history with Vernie, mm-hmm. playing against him as a kid, playing against him in junior, playing against him with the Flames. So it was great to see Mike go in. Henrik Lundqvist, no question. I mean, that's kind of a no-brainer. That one was easy. Good to see Tommy Barrasso. Hard to come out of high school and be a National Hockey League goalie. But mm-hmm. Tommy came in, played great. So nice to see him get some recognition as well. Was it just that era, I guess, Grant? I mean, all these goalies, I mean, you put up over 400 wins, and these goalies were so successful, team oriented. Do you think that was just that period of time where, and guys were playing, you know, the 65 70 games? Is that just that period of time, you think? Or, or how do you look at that? Yeah, I think it was that era where goalies played a lot and. I mean, young, young goalies. Mm-hmm. I mean, organizations trusted young goalies to come in and play. You look at Tommy. Tommy was, I think, 18 when he came in out of high school. And 
started in Buffalo. You look at Vernie, Vernie maybe took a little bit longer, but came in, ran away with things in Calgary when they were looking for some solid goaltending. Uh, you look at Henrik Lundqvist, obviously a starter the minute he came over. So it's just a different era in workhorses. Mm-hmm. That's the other difference is you didn't worry about load management, that sort of thing. I think the goalies of that era had a different mindset. And you wanted to play as much as you could, and you didn't worry about load management or any of that. And you just played. What about Mike Vernon? With you going again, you said in junior, then all those great years between Calgary and Edmonton, there must have been that special kind of uh, respect, bond that you had between yourself and Mike Vernon? Oh, most definitely. I mean, when they were considering Vernie, the Flames asked if I would send a letter in supporting him, and I was happy to do that. Yeah. I mean, I one of the first seven-game series I played was against Vernie when I was in Victoria, and he was in Calgary. So I, nothing but respect for Vernie. And again, we're not the big goalies, mm-hmm. that 5'9", five, 5'10 five, set. So I mean, it, it was a great competitor and fun to play against. You knew you had to have your best every time you played against them. How did that series go between the Wranglers and Cougars? Well, let's just say the right guy won. (laughs) Well, we all know that. We were pretty fortunate when it came down to that. But, I mean, those are two pretty good teams. How did the series go itself? Uh, What did we? We were down 3-2, came back, won game six, and then won game seven. Wow. So, and a good series. Probably a little more entertaining than the Jonas Brothers will be tonight. I'm going to have to agree with you on that one. It was probably a lot more fun to be at, too. Yeah, you're in, so am I. Uh, When we come back at the top of the hour, Dave Lumley, your former teammate. Uh, How many years did you play with Lummer? Five? Six? Lummer's there probably five or six. Six? Lummer? What do you think? We'll add it up. I'm going to figure it. Yeah. Yeah, Lummer's. He's like the knowledge in this guy's head is just top notch. I mean, it's. (laughs) <laughs> it's going to be an interesting conversation. Dave Lumley, former Oiler, former teammate of Grand Fears, will guest with us at the top of the hour at uh, uh, 10.20. We will try to get some audio, I think. ten. Well, not maybe about 10.30, sort of, sort of in there, just on that Hall of Fame angle. Also, Ken Hitchcock went into the Hockey Hall of Fame, a uh, local product and so much for the community here. One of the most winningest coaches in NHL history. I think number four on the list. So uh, hopefully we can get a little sound from his induction speech last night, which was pretty cool too. When we come back, top of the hour, David Lomley, Grant Fear, Kevin Carries on Sports 1440. Before that, here is the Duke Delburn with a Sports 1440 update.